The failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Hello, and welcome to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Stimulus, Drugs, Policy, and Practice in Canada is a program of the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition. In addition to their stimulus conferences, they've been hosting a series of very informative panel discussions and webinars under the banner of Stimulus Connect. Stimulus Connect topics, according to the Stimulus Conference website, quote, are curated in consultation with the Stimulus National Implementation and Planning Committee and their executive committee. A group of key stakeholders are then brought together to collaboratively plan the content, speakers, and methods of each event. As with other stimulus program activities, we work from a framework of nothing about us without us, end quote. On December 8th, they held another in the series, this one entitled Safer Bathrooms. We're going to hear from one of the speakers. Paula Miliardi is currently completing her Ph.D. in anthropology. She works as a program specialist in healthy sexuality and harm reduction for the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. What I'm going to do today is to share our experience um, managing a safer washroom in our uh, facility. So what I, I'm going to do is to describe the operation of the safer washroom available at uh, Street Connections, uh, Healthy Sexuality Harm Reduction in Winnipeg, and to share some of the findings from what we have learned from operating this um, safer washroom. And um, so, but let me give you a bit of context uh, for where this washroom is situated. This washroom is found uh, in the facilities where Street Connections operates. And Street Connections is the largest uh, distributor of harm reduction supplies uh, in Winnipeg. So um, we distribute supplies out of uh, a fixed site uh, during the day, that is Monday to Friday, uh, where this is where the safer washroom is found. And, and then we also uh, provide harm reduction supplies out of a mobile service um, that's in the evenings uh, six days a week. So, and, um, and we, uh, you may ask why a safer washroom uh, in this facility? First of all, um, we know that privacy and comfort are key characteristics of safer spaces uh, of drug consumption. So these features are uh, not easily found in public spaces. However, uh, to some extent, public washrooms provide that privacy. Um, and therefore, they are a common space for drug use. Um, and, um, and, and because we also know that people who use alone in uh, these spaces are at greater risk for uh, experiencing harms associated to drug toxicity, making these spaces uh, safer is, uh, is key. So with that in mind, uh, safer washrooms, from our perspective, are promoted on the assumption that people are already using uh, substances in public washrooms and that we, um, that, uh, is, uh, we are ethically bound to enhance the safety features of these spaces. Um, and for that, you know, we believe that a safer space uh, will assist anyone um, uh, facing in any any health emergency in those spaces. So it's it's, it's commonsensical to um, to do. 
Um, with regards to uh, why our own safe uh, washroom, um, so what uh, in the mid to late 2010s, uh, there was an increase in opioid overdose events registered in Winnipeg. Although no data exists on the extent to which overdose or drug toxicity events were occurring in public washrooms, there was a fatality um, uh, in one of the in the facility where uh, Street Connection was operating at that time, and um, and therefore this is uh, what uh, brought to the attention um, of the need to to do something about the washroom. So um, the uh, so uh, and and we um, for the you know is we don't have. Um, Supervised consumption facilities in the WHA uh, were to um, to refer some folks. It's not uncommon that some of our clients will ask if they can use uh, drugs in our facilities. So it was important uh, that those features um, were enhanced. Safety features were enhanced. Um, let me tell you what those features look like. We have. Um, um, a, a, a client activates a button to lock the door of that washroom. Um, this is a single user accessible universal uh, washroom that uh, that is found uh, within the space of the harm reduction supply uh, distribution program. Um, and it can be observed from the front desk and outreach desks. It also is, a, is also adjacent to an open area where other people will be waiting for services. Um, so because of that, um, that configuration, um, our approach is to have someone monitor the washroom. Um, so again, uh, one of the things that people will do will be to activate um, the washroom lock which um, connects to a 10 minute timer that will begin at a time. Um, at, uh, at 10 minutes, a lighted signal activates and that's when our staff will knock on the door gently uh, to see if the person is okay, if they need more time and, uh, and if people uh, need more time when that's uh, necessary, the timer uh, is resetted. And we have as well uh, just in, uh, installed a mechanism, a mechanism for which we could lock or unlock the door remotely. So we don't need a key or to look for a key in case that of an emergency, just push a button to unlock the door. Um, we have also an alarm button that could be activated by uh, by the client in case that, that the person needs uh, some help. Uh, and what we do is to have uh, a staff oriented and uh, all the responses procedures, um, which drills carry out every six months or, or every so often. Plus, um, we have um, um, sharps. Uh, containers, a wall-mounted sharp uh, container, and, uh, and we have found that um, about 75 to 100 sharps are collected every month. This is of, uh, an indicator that people are using in our space and again confirms the fact that we need to keep um, these safety features in mind. 
Um, and we have found that there hadn't been any safety issues related to having needles in the washroom and uh, no plumbing issues noted <laughs> since the installation of the safer washroom, which can be an issue for many um, who don't have these um, features installed in their washrooms. Plus, uh, later on, uh, we uh, installed a sturdy um, uh, wall-mounted um, clean surface like a shelving uh, stainless steel countertop, um, which is just about waist, waist height um, to facilitate um, um, to, for people to put uh, objects to facilitate drug preparation or uh, other um, drug use practices uh, in case that that um, uh, does require. So what we did um, to understand how the space was used and, and the, um, the, the perspective of people who use the washroom, uh, we conducted in 2018 a formal evaluation of, uh, of the, um, the, this intervention. Um, and this, res this resource is available among other resources that will be shared with this um, uh, webinar. Uh, the overall objective was to understand the experiences and perspective of users, of the bathroom users, and the program staff as well. Um, however, um, as this space is not sanctioned for drug consumption, asking people to talk about their experiences or views was a bit uh, complex. Uh, still, we found a few um, people who will talk to us about that, those experiences. Also, a year later, uh, a number of harm reductionists came together under a project intended to assess what safer consumption spaces look like from the perspective of people who use drugs in Winnipeg. And among those spaces assessed were washrooms. So um, the report, um, which is also linked here and will be shared with uh, other resources, it includes great insight uh, that could inform uh, the design and operation of uh, safer washrooms and has been good to check our own space on what people have said at that time. We also conduct ongoing, ongoing monitoring of the space. So that means that we keep track of episodes where staff had to open the door um, and what the drug-related incidents look like and uh, also keep tab on uh, needles uh, found in the, in the shard container. As part of uh, our reconnaissance or outcomes for this, um, for what we track our monitoring process, uh, is that we uh, only had um, to respond to a few uh, drug-related events since 2016, when this question was um, established. Um, however, uh, most of these events had occurred since the onset of the COVID-19 epidemic uh, pandemic. So, and we believe that this is not surprising considering the changes in the drug supply, um, resulting in an increased uh, drug toxicity, and, um, and also uh, the fact that access to public washrooms uh, had been severely uh, limited, driving uh, in increased need for, for, uh, for making the washroom accessible. So we, we kept the space open and, uh, and, and people there's more people using the space or the washroom. So what we also found, there, were, there hadn't been any fatalities uh, or significant drug harms um, um, because of the use of the, that particular space. Uh, from the perspective of um, 
people who use the washroom, we found that um, overall program participants need accessible and private spaces for drug consumption. And of course, that well-kept public washrooms are desirable. So that is clean, well-lit, spacious spaces. Um, we also found that um, when discussing the safety features of the washroom, uh, these were, uh, from the perspective of, of participants, the right thing to do. Um, they felt that uh, was important uh, for them to know that they were cared for in this way. And program, um, we also were concerned about the 10 minute limit and the fact that we were going to disrupt their activities in the bathroom um, with this protocol. So uh, we asked about that. And for the most part, people said that they were not feel rushed. So 10 minutes was the amount of uh, time. Um, and they explained that um, for those who inject drugs, um, that there was a distinction between feel rush and doing this rapidly. Uh, they were people were very proficient in uh, and injecting the drugs, so um, that was uh, important uh, to learn. And um, we also um, they, they also understood that there was an option for them to stay longer in the washroom when when needed. So uh, another thing that we learned that uh, uh, that it was important to have spaces where to comfortably hang out when exiting the washroom. Um, so and sometimes people hang out, but most of the time people leave our facility anyway. Um, from the staff perspective, uh, and this is something that uh, many of you will be interested to know, um, uh, safer washroom were easy. Uh, th this safer washroom, at least, was easy to manage. And um, uh, however, there were some concerns noted um, with regards to the unusual lock uh, lock button that is uh, in the facility. This is not common, so so people had to uh, be reminded on how this works and why they needed to uh, use that button to lock the door. And there is all the. There were also concerns about the fact that um, that. Uh, you know, it was uh, when, um, with regards to using substances in uh, the facility, because in uh, this is not legally permitted. Um, however, we know that, and there is there was there has always been evidence in our washroom that um, people will occasionally um, use the bathroom for uh, for preparing and their uh, their substances or use substances. So, um, so it's sometimes it's hard to navigate that conversation uh, in that context, especially in the context of criminalization and stigmatization for people who use drugs. So, what is what has been helpful um, for us as well is that to have a person uh, to designate a person for orientation, training, and general oversight of the washroom as well. Uh, just to conclude, a few. Um, a few remarks here um, is that um, access to washroom facilities is a human right and uh, and the availability of a public washroom for clients or um, community members is a dignity that is uh, congruent uh, with the values that we uphold and with uh, with the principles of harm reduction so um, so we find that the safer washroom as a harm related drug event intervention is is acceptable, easy to manage, and cost-effective, um, and that the promotion of this intervention is 
key, even though this is just a small uh, answer to to a larger issue um, that um, you know this is not the which, this is not the this is the answer not um, to not addressing the main issue that um, that is drug the drug toxicity uh, in the, and the current drug supply. Um, we also um, found that uh, sometimes it doesn't need to be fancy, um, and that at least we need to start for having um, for everyone to adopt general uh, principles of um, of washroom monitoring, um, which uh, is just checking on uh, on the facility, looking um, uh, and checking up for uh, people's safety. That was Paula Miliardi, a program specialist in healthy sexuality and harm reduction for the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. She spoke on harm reduction and safer bathrooms on a webinar that was part of the Stimulus Connect series. Find the full recording of this webinar along with other recordings from other Stimulus Connect events and a treasure trove of information and other valuable resources at the website stimulusconference.ca. That's stimulusconference.ca. You know, I don't get out as much as I once did. I'm sure that's the case for a lot of us. I just want to take a moment to say how grateful I am that the technology exists to bring events like these to people around the world. And I'm extremely grateful to organizations like Stimulus, Drugs Policy and Practice in Canada, like the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition, like Moms Stop the Harm and Drug Science and the Drug Policy Alliance and Americans for Safe Access, the Scottish Drugs Forum, the National Safer Supply Community of Practice, the Drug User Liberation Front, and the many, many others who are making skillful use of this technology. Their events are so powerful. They bring together brilliant people, scholars, public servants, people with lived experience, activists, to share knowledge and ideas. And thanks to streaming technology, that knowledge, those ideas, can be shared with people around the world. And at very little cost. There's no long-distance travel. I never really did all that much travel, but in my prime, I still had a carbon footprint like a charcoal Sasquatch. I mean, folks flying all around the continent, all around the world, you pay out for airfare, maybe a rental car, you pay out for somewhere to stay, you pay out for food. Some folks don't have stable housing. People who do still have stuff to deal with in order to leave, like child care, pet care. I mean, in-person events are a costly pain in the neck. And their ablest is all get out. Now, I must confess that last point was not something I ever really appreciated until COVID. I have still not been infected by that virus, and I'm going to do what I can to make sure I don't. But I have been seriously ill a few times over the years. First time was at the age of seven. And let me tell you, it's not fun. The only reasons I'm still alive to say all this are modern medicine and sheer luck. So why do we keep putting up so many barriers? It's especially frustrating when these organizations are involved in public health, harm reduction, and health care. I mean, these are organizations that need to be leading the charge for inclusion. Knowledge is power, after all, and that power must be shared as widely as possible. Man, I'm long-winded. Well, this is stuff I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, but, but you know, enough of my bloviating. Let's get on to something interesting. Let's move to California and safe consumption sites, also known as overdose prevention centers. There's lots of euphemisms to make people feel comfortable with saving lives. I mean, it's such a simple and basic and humane and impossible to object to concept. Um, impossible to object to if you have a kind of conscience. There I go again. 
During the December 13th meeting of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, San Francisco Mayor London Breed was asked by Supervisor Dean Preston about safe consumption sites. Uh, Mayor Breed, as uh, you may be aware, our office had, had conversations with the Department of Public Health regarding uh, safe consumption sites after the Tenderloin was redistricted into District 5. Um, after several meetings with DPH, it became clear the city did not have an inventory of overdose services or a shareable plan to end overdose deaths in San Francisco. As a result, in June of this year, our office called on the Department of Public Health to publicly present a comprehensive overdose plan. Our office worked with DPH for several months as the plan was finalized, and in September, DPH presented its plan at our hearing, a plan that you uh, signed off on, and we appreciate that. Um, at that time, we were glad to see that the plan included safe consumption and, in fact, planned to open several wellness hubs by the end of this fiscal year. These sites were characterized in the plan as the cornerstone of the overdose prevention plan. Our office uh, has also corresponded over the past several months with your staff and DPH, uh, and then passed a resolution here at the board to urge you to ensure no gap in services following your closure of the Tenderloin Center, or alternatively to temporarily extend the center's operations. However, as of December 5th, the Tenderloin Center, as you know, has been shut down with no replacement in sight. And to further our disappointment, new media reports cite at least two nonprofits who were ready to open wellness hubs, but had the rug pulled out from under them by your office shortly before they were set to open. Our office and many members of the public are trying to reconcile your words of support for safe consumption sites with your actions. So my question is, Madam Mayor, do you still support the opening of safe consumption sites in San Francisco as soon as possible? Um, yes, I do support it, Supervisor, and I think it's really sad that offices are talking and you won't schedule a time to meet with me directly. However, while we have seen a decrease in overdose deaths over the last two years, our numbers are still far too high. We need to continue working, hopefully together, to make sure that those suffering from substance use disorder get connected and get the help they need. I was one of the first elected officials to publicly come out and aggressively push for safe injunction sites and supported them when I was on the Board of Supervisors and still support them while I'm mayor. The Tenderloin Linkage Center did serve a need. They did, they did face significant challenges. And in fact, you and other members of this board didn't even support the emergency de declaration to allow this to happen in the first place. So I'm very happy that many of you are very supportive of moving forward with wellness centers that we all understand are really important. Regardless from the onset, the center was never intended to be a long-term solution. And while there were some successes. There were many lessons learned in how to effectively use city resources to address this crisis. When it comes to overdose prevention programs, I want to see them happen in San Francisco. I was actually, as I said, the first to push for them, but there remain serious legal issues that have not been addressed for city-operated or city-funded sites. I know the city attorney's office has walked you through the federal legal issues related to this kind of operation, including the potential criminal liability for city employees, including the possibility of people losing their medical licenses or legal licenses and a number of other challenges. 
I believe in overdose prevention programs, but we continue to wait for this guidance and we are working aggressively with the Department of Justice on this issue. My office has had conversations with DOJ, with the state, with our state bodies, with Senator Scott Wiener, who has tried to push this legislation through the state, with the governor, with so many people advocating to try and do this yesterday. Also, we'll continue to talk to nonprofits that are interested in pursuing the New York model and opening a site with private funding on private property, which the city attorney office supports. Again, these are difficult situations because this involves legal advice, significant criminal liability, which we cannot just ignore. Um, and we need to discuss this setting and we need to talk about it. I'm sure the confidential memo that you were provided with from the city attorney helps to explain exactly what I'm saying. And if we are serious about addressing these issues, we will work together to try and have the kinds of conversations necessary to talk about the facts and figure out how we can make sure that folks who are at stake of working on these who could face criminal charges are protected. This is one of the biggest holdups to why we have not moved forward, but I am aggressively interested in doing so and have been doing everything I can to try and do so. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Supervisor Preston, you have a follow-up question? Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I do, and thank you for your response, Madam Mayor, and I uh, appreciate the invitation. Always happy to, to meet directly uh, to talk about this further. I want to say that the, the we managed to open the Tenderloin Center, notwithstanding the very issues, uh, legal issues that you're talking about, and also the plan uh, was released in September, and no legal issues have changed since that time. I want to focus my follow-up on the uh, Tenderloin specifically. Um, six months ago in June, you announced you'd be closing the Tenderloin Center. Uh, your administration, as you've noted, moved forward with the closure without any replacement earlier this month against the advice of public health professionals and the Board of Supervisors. Um, every single day that passes with a gap in overdose prevention services in the Tenderloin will place people at risk of potentially fatal overdoses. So uh, given our apparent agreement, and I'm encouraged by a lot of your words, um, on how sa crucial safe consumption services are in fighting overdose deaths, uh, my follow-up question is, do you commit to opening a safe consumption site in the Tenderloin immediately or at the latest by the end of this fiscal year as laid out in your overdose prevention plan? As I said, Supervisor, this is a legal issue, and I'm happy to discuss it further with the city attorney's office, but let's be clear, overdose prevention sites are only part of our overdose response. The Department of Public Health overdose prevention plan lists a number of strategies to address these issues. Additionally, we all need to be honest about the need for more enforcement against open air drug markets in this city. And frankly, I'm not hearing the same intensity around the calls to break up these open air drug markets. But I do hear from your constituents, the families that you represent in the Tenderloin who are sick and tired of living in those kinds of conditions. And all everyone is talking about is this one particular prevention strategy. We need to make sure that we're doing more around this open air drug dealing. And I hope you will at least start to talk to those families and have honest conversations about the challenges that continue to persist in the Tenderloin for them. That was San Francisco Supervisor Dean Preston questioning Mayor London Breed about safe consumption sites. Mayor Breed would have preferred a private meeting. You know, she referred to a confidential legal memo. But here they are talking about this important public policy issue out there in public. 
And, you know, Mary Breed did say she's open to talking more about this and wants to have more discussions and more talk. And, and while they talk, more people die. And politicians and officials just keep talking and people just keep dying. And I don't know about you, but I've really kind of had enough. Enough of the talking and the endless debate and the inaction and the lip service that some officials will pay to things that actually matter, things like civil rights and human rights and human dignity. And meanwhile, our friends and our siblings and our children are dying needlessly because some officials can't imagine an approach that doesn't center police because it's not about safety and it's not about health. It's really only about control. And I've had enough. (sighs) There I go again. Well, all right. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us. This has been Century of Lies. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. This is Doug Doug McVeigh asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition, the century of lies. Drug Truth Network programs archived at the James A. Baker III Institute for Public Policy. 